This is the beginning point. This is the beginning of the rest of my life. I got the meaning, and I got to write it down, because I don't want to forget it. Just win, baby. To the Gold Jacket Podcast with your hosts, me, Gymnastic, and Connor Donald. And tonight we are joined by TNFF co-founder Tyrell McLaughlin. And since it's almost Canada Day, I don't know how you guys are getting down in American Friends. It's almost July 4th. Uh, I thought we were going to do a big big barbecue show, you know, have, uh, have a little barbecue potluck, man. So tonight we're going to have a little bit of fun, man. So, uh, Connor, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I, I know we threw this show together last minute, but I mean, whatever. Let's have some fun. It's the dead of the summer where everyone's just falling for any news snippet that says this guy is doing this or this guy's doing that. So we might as well have a little bit of fun with it and and to help take up the dead time. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. It's awesome to have Ty on again. I know that we just kind of threw it out there last minute, but good to have you along for the ride there, Ty. No, and those are the best potlucks, right? Especially this time of the year. Anytime you get that text potluck, yep, let's do it. Let's go to the beach. It is that time of the year, and we're all ready to get back together. So, yeah, pumped uh, to be together today or tonight for you East Coasters. Yeah, man. So, you know, I thought uh, pot, potlucks, you got you always got apps. You always got dips, right? Everyone's bringing something, right? You're not just... You're not just always showing up with with main courses. There's only someone with that spinach dip, that buffalo chicken dip. You know those those fried wontons, the apps and dips. So first part of the uh, the show, I thought we do a little appies and dips, right? And look at players that from last year or this year, they've either dipped in ADP or they're on the uh, app and app. They're uh, they're they're rising. So let's take a look at so whoa, first guy up that I ended up picking was uh, Julio Jones. From January 1st, this is uh, data taken from FFPC. From January 1st, 2020 to August 31st, 2020, so pretty much the last day that you could have drafted last year, most of uh, most home league drafts and everything. 79 drafts ended up happening. He was positional ADP wide receiver 11, at an average ADP of – sorry, average ADP uh, 40.8. Then uh, you fast forward to today – when he's on a new team, Tennessee, to uh, 37 drafts have happened this year from January 1st to today, or sorry, 38, and he has a positional ADP of 32 and an ADP of 94.3. dropped 21 positional spots. I don't know uh, if the hate for Julio is still real. It's still happening now that he's in Tennessee or, and he's going to see it start climbing. Uh, what do you – What do you? sorry, what do you think about that, Connor? Well, we kind of touched on this uh, on the Brighter Skies Podathon uh, the other day. Um, Ty Ty was talking about it because I think we were talking about AJ Brown at the time, and we were talking about how much more do we expect Tennessee to throw? They haven't been a team that throws that much. We haven't seen any real growth in in how many pass plays they they produce because of Derrick Henry. Um, for me, my instant reaction is it's a great value pick if you're contending. 
But obviously, that's not a pick that you want to make if you're not contending right away, unless you want to try and take the guy and dangle him around places and hope that somebody comes in and buys on him. But I mean, a good, a smart contender, a good contender would definitely be buying into this. And I mean, I think, like I know Ty was mentioning that he doesn't necessarily believe they're going to pass more, but I'm kind of of the belief that they probably will pass a little bit more because. I mean, you you invested, you basically invested twenty million dollars in this trade because you traded for a guy who's got two years left on his contract at around twenty million dollars, and then you got AJ Brown in the picture as well. So even if they throw just a little bit more, and the vacated targets that are presently there with the departures of John New Smith and Corey Davis, I think are enough to give Julio work to easily outproduces ADP. I, I can definitely see him outproducing the ADP as long as he stays healthy. And I think a lot of people over-exaggerate the injuries. This is his, was his first season where he missed major time. And I think just because he's over the age of 30 doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's a be-all, end-all, and he's going to be hurt for a while, m- multiple times continuing forward. So for me, if you're a contender – no brainer. I think you can, you should go and you should be buying, you should be shopping for him. I think he can probably be head for, I don't think he's worth a first rounder. I really don't think somebody would, would give that. Um, but if you were able to get him for a second round or something and you're contending, you'd be laughing, just play the matchups and you know, Julio will step up. You're on mute, Jimbo. <laughs> Cause my kids are in the background. <laughs> uh, Ty, Ty, I want to ask you real quick because um, you didn't think that Tannehill would throw. I was looking into it, and Tannehill, I was surprised that threw over 4,000 air yards last season. It was actually second in fantasy points at, um, over expectation at his position with a side tangent here. Do you think there's any room left for Tannehill to grow at all, or do you think now uh, people have already caught up to what to expect from him so he's not going to be second at the position with fantasy points over expectation. No, I mean, there's definitely a conversation to be had with Arthur Smith going from Tennessee to Atlanta that maybe the efficiency is a little bit at risk because like, it's going to be hard for Tannehill to continue to repeat on this efficiency. He didn't repeat on his 2019 efficiency in 2020, although he did still have a sensational season. The Titans did, but you know, a lot of that is off of play action. It's in the red zone. So a lot of this goes back to Derrick Henry kind of being the focal point. You talk about money invested. They just invested in him as well. So, yeah, I just go back to the identity of the offense not changing a lot. Ryan Tannehill somebody who I expect to really – he already has started to increase in his average draft position, rightfully so. Um, so I'll probably be the guy who's just waiting and taking Stafford around later than Tannehill if that's the way it ends up falling out. Um but I definitely think Julio coming in allows Tannehill to compensate for being a low value, low volume pass. Love it. Absolutely love it. I just think I want so, to get you guys' opinion on something before we move on from Julio. Like when you look at Derrick Henry, he ran 378 times last season. That's an average of nearly just shy of 24 attempts per game. Can we really expect any more from that? Like, that's the thing that I wonder is like, can he go any higher? Could we see a 400 attempt season? But, like, I feel like that'd be crazy. Like, don't you think that there must be some sort of push terror pass game? And there's lots of numbers to go back. Like a lot, you know, he's hitting those thresholds that we used to be worried about that following season after a running back hits those certain thresholds. 
But I think we have to concede that Derrick Henry is almost an outlier in every sense of the word. So, like, you know, I'm not going to bet against him in that sense. But I also just think that, you know, the efficiency, like a lot of this is built into the offense. And I think it's such a well-oiled machine. But the one thing that hasn't been in this in this Titans uh, uh, in the fold there is a good defense. Like the defense has been pretty terrible under Vrabel. So that's another instance where if that gets any better, that's not going to help the passing situation, I don't think. Um, and I just, I don't expect them to be a high volume, uh, high volume play volume team at all either. Like they're just not running a lot of plays per game. See Connor, I just wanted to bring up there, like we've, me and you have both brought it up, like with Derek Henry and his ADP, it almost seems like it's being baked into the wheels have to fall off and you just did it there, but it's never baked in with Dalvin cook, right? Like Dalvin cook and mm-hmm. his injury riddled seasons are never baked in. Now he's RB two. And you're, uh, I, I'm disappointed that you're doing it right now to Derek Henry. And like with the added game, I don't think it's that far fetched to think that you're going to see a 400 carry attempt, uh, 400 carries from, from Derek Henry in the season. If they, if they stick to that plan, but I'm, I'm interested to see uh, how much, of that is really Arthur Smith. And, uh, you know, if, if they do change it up and if it is a little bit more pass heavy, uh, you know, with the, the addition thing, right? like he, yeah. And he just had a 2000 yard rushing season. Like it's amazing that you could pretty much compare Aaron Jones to Derrick Henry in a fantasy lens over the last two seasons, but the volume is just, uh, completely insane. The rushing totals, like what I'm saying is someone like Derrick Henry is an outlier and it's not the best process to bet on an outlier because that guy has to have a borderline supernatural season to pay off that top five ADP in a fantasy draft. So it's, it's one of those things that it, it's tough. I also think it's crazy. Like he's an outlier in, in the uh, idea of his age too. Like he's 27 years old. Like he he's going to be 28 at some point during the season. Like, and I know I hate to do it to us, Jim. I hate to say that, but like, I mean, I'm not saying the wheels are going to fall off. I'm saying we have to expect regression from the attempt side. I'm not saying the wheels are falling off. I'm not saying the guy won't get 2,000 yards again. I'm just saying, like, if you invested yeah, in Julio Jones. In the attempts, you could still see 400 yards with an extra game. That's my thing. Like, even if you brought it down to, like, what, 18 attempts a game? How many would that bring you across? I don't know the math off the top of my head there, but, like, or, like, even 20. Yeah, but I think the the thing with Derrick Henry is you're just you're betting on him continuing to replicate this five yards per carry efficiency, uh, score fifteen touch plus touchdowns. You know he has to do all those things to have that that top five fantasy season. Whereas a guy like Austin Eckler needs like half as many touches. You know, just for example, or Jonathan Taylor could easily have a similar Derrick Henry season because he's five years younger than Derrick Henry. You know, so I I kind of agree with both you guys, and I, I'm not the guy who's dropping a ton of Derrick Henry just because. Uh, you're betting on an outlier, and it's just not the way I usually go about business. Give me Travis Kelsey in that spot. <laughs> and uh, speaking about guys that we aren't really drafting a lot, uh, let's move right along to the next guy, Joe Mixon, who went from January 1st, 2020 to August 31st, 2020. Again, 79 drafts. He was positional ADP RB6, uh, ADP 14.2. Betters were were betting pretty heavy on Joe Mixon, and I mean he looked pretty good up until the entire complete decimation of that offense falling apart with Joe Burrow getting injured, and then him shutting it, like him getting injured. And I really think it was just uh, a play of let's just take it easy with them and try to get both our both our stars back 
and not really risk it because what were you really playing for after that that apparent energy? Now you added Jamar Chase to the fold, but in this year he's actually dropped to again 37 drafts. He's dropped all the way down to RB 17, so he's dropped 11 spots mid RB two range, ADP of 44.6. So to me, Mixon has always been an enigma. He has the talent coming out, that's for sure. Never really had the true path with uh, passing work with, you know, Giovanni Bernard, the mustache in town, but he's out in Tampa Bay, and I think he could be a sneaky play. We'll talk about that later on another day. But as the fantasy community is not really high on, on Joe Mixon again, it's, you know, Burmy once, shame on me, Burmy twice, or Burmy once, shame on you, Burmy twice, shame on me. So, like, Connor, I want to know, are you buying the dip in Joe Mixon or are you staying away from him? Um, yeah, I've been one of those guys who's always used to buy Joe Mixon and, and the injury last year that hurt big time. And that definitely took the trust out of uh, some people's uh, sales for him because of the idea that, you know, he he was supposed to come back. He didn't come back. He was supposed to come back. He didn't come back. He never came back. It was like the suspicious injury when really, like you said, it was just a protection of their assets. Why put him out there when you, when you're out, you blew your, the wheels out on Joe Burrow as well. It's like, why put him out there and watch Joe Mixon potentially get hurt even worse. Um, but for me, I'm definitely buying the dip. I mean, look at all the stuff you're hearing throughout this. And I mean, I'm not one huge on coach speak either. So I just want to point that out. But like, if you look at last year, the direction he was trending, his attempts per game was up. His, like when you look at some of the sets, his attempts per game were up, his yards per game were the, similar to 2019. His targets obviously were down, but his yards per game were up for, in that perspective. So there was some things trending in the right direction for him. And like you said, the idea of Gio Bernard being out of the picture and his biggest competition being Samaji P. Ryan and Puka Williams, you know that they plan to follow through with what they are saying. They sat this man for 11 weeks after his injury and played the he might come back, he might not come back game for the entire remainder of the season on the guy. And for me, I think there was enough stuff trending in the right direction that if he can stay healthy, and that's always a big, the big if, but it should be the same if that you carry with Dalvin Cook, then I think he's trending in the right direction to be over 20 carries per game. His his receiving work should go up as well. I think last year his receptions per game were at three and a half, which was actually the highest of his career. So that could grow to four or five. And if you see all that work go up, I mean, he's going to blow his ADP far out of the water. He has a chance to be, in my opinion, a low-end RB1. But everything, all the puzzle pieces have to fall into place. And all the coach speak has to live up to what it's supposed to live up to. And thank God it's not Bruce Arians delivering the coach speak. That's all I got to say. Ty, I want to ask you, with everybody knows with vacated targets, they're not just automatically replicated into the position, a.k.a. Giovanni Bernard going in and Joe Mixon just uh, allocating all of the target work. So with Jamar Chase there, do you think there is any room for Joe Mixon to grow in that receiving role, or do you think those targets are going to be more evenly distributed through uh, that solid three wide receiver core? No, I think what people don't realize is that Cincinnati has already passed 70% of the time to the wide receiver position in back-to-back seasons without Jamar Chase. So you add in Jamar Chase, and now they have the wide receivers to actually facilitate that kind of system that we've seen Zach Taylor uh, more more than more or less force upon the Cincinnati Bengals offense. So 
hopefully that goes better. I think Mixon, it remains to be seen. Like, can he catch three balls a game? That'd be great. So that would be what over 40 catches, because that's the simple conversation that like Mixon is as simple as that. In my opinion, like he, if he gets 40 catches, he'll pay off his ADP. If he doesn't, he won't. Has he ever had 40 catches? No, he hasn't. So, you know, it does remain to be seen whether they want to involve another running back in that role. Are they going to give Mixon an 80% snap share when he wasn't able to withstand, you know, that last year. And, you know, I just, I have a lot of questions with Mixon and the problem with Mixon is the same. It's always been, it has nothing to do with Mixon it's the running backs that are alongside him in average draft position that we have to pass on that, in my opinion, have the pen, you know, the potential to be like league league winners. Like I have Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Antonio Gibson, Najee Harris, Aaron Jones. All these guys are like pretty comfortably cam Akers. You know, these guys are comfortably ahead of Joe Mixon for me, especially in dynasty. Um, but I, I'd recognize that he is still a top 15 running back, you know, top 20 range. And that range is very important to be, targeting in your fantasy drafts after that we get pretty pretty comfortably into that dead zone for the running back position where we should be hammering wide receivers in our fantasy drafts anyways um but i i I just i do think that he continues to go you know kind of close to his ceiling i mean adp 17 would that be different over the last month i think he might be closer to like running back 13 or 14 over the last month because uh he's really really skyrocketed in best ball and things like that um and then you know it's not necessarily the guys around him. Mixon does have concerns around him and none of them have to do with durability. It is the fact that, you know, 70% of the targets are going to go to the wide receiver position. And we've had the ability to ignore the tight end market share in the last couple of years in Cincinnati. So, you know, that would be maybe the running backs in them are, are fighting for that kind of work. And then the touchdown upside, because Cincinnati is so clearly the worst team in their division. Uh, and then I just need him to get 40 catches. So it's the high leverage work that I continue to question for him. Uh, but I really, I think he's a top five, uh, top 15, top 20 ish running back at the back of a tier. You should still be attacking. Love it. So I'm going to mark that I down just, real quick. I just 40, want to 40 point receptions out, is what I, I just want to Mixon. point out. Mixon did have 40 receptions in 2018 is his oh, sophomore season. He had 43, but unfortunately for him, it was also his, uh, second lowest yards per reception. So this year it was his lowest yards per reception. So obviously that kind of hurts because he's definitely got to get the better yardage. He's sandwiched between 9.6 yards per reception and 8.2 yards per reception, but he's got to get back to that point. So what you really are asking for is like 40 plus 40 receptions, plus the idea of drawing 9.6 yards per reception or 10 yards per reception yeah. and not really just dump doing offs because the offensive line is broken down that's what we need not just dump offs because joe mixon is there we need him to be involved in the past the game plan like and it's they crazy that he hasn't it. been yeah and it, it's what it's the age-old debate of assume assumption of rational coaching right like we just haven't gotten it in cincinnati yet in a lot mm-hmm. of different facets and you know i don't know why we would just assume we're going to get it now uh and draft him at his ceiling. So it's, it's still a tough conversation for me because of the names around him. Definitely. Nice. So I want to move, I want to keep it moving. I want to talk about um, two pretty polarizing teammates, wide receivers, uh, Minnesota Vikings. First, I want to bring up, uh, I got a hooked on a Thielen, Adam Thielen, <laughs> Adam Thielen. Uh, last year, this time he had a positional ADP of 27 ADP of 85.7. So people thought he was going to be a high-end wide receiver three, absorb a little bit of that um, Stefan Diggs gone role, 
And a year later, when Justin Jefferson has broken out, he has a positional ADP of 42, which is amazing to me, 42, and an average draft position of 121. Ty, man, what are you making of Adam Thielen here? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like Adam Thielen. It's tough because he is over the age of 30, but I think he's under contract to like 2024. Like they just re-signed him, so. You know, it's a tough one because, you know, Justin Jefferson's there. He's going to continue to absorb more of the work that that Adam Thielen was enjoying. And the other thing with Adam Thielen is, yeah, he's a slot wide receiver and everything. He's going to see some of the easier targets. And we saw, you know, even when he wasn't in the slot, that defenses, because there's not a lot of slot wide receiver snaps in Minnesota. um, But we saw defenses more or less keying in on Justin Jefferson as the season went on. And we know we'll see that in 2021. So does he enjoy the benefit of some easier matchups in an offense that's going to offer some, you know, and he, he also has that rapport with Kirk cousins in this offense that offers some play action, some deep passing and stuff. So I think there's still a lot of room for Thielen to pay off his ADP. That's for sure. I think he's a really, really good target for, you know, a contender in a dynasty league who can go out and trade maybe a Darnell Mooney or something like that for an Adam Thielen, or maybe a, a sexy young running back or something that you have less faith in than the value of, of his market value or something. Uh, those are the kind of trades I'd be looking to make um, because Thielen, what, what, what else, you know, he just absolutely monopolized the end zone targets. Like the touchdowns last year were crazy. Um, so he continues to kind of mystify us in different ways each season as well. Thielen. So like he keeps doing it in different ways that we weren't necessarily expecting him to do. Uh, but yeah, literally 50% of the end zone targets in Minnesota went to Adam Thielen last year. It's just crazy. And all 14 of his touchdowns last year came in the red zone. 13 of them were on end zone targets. So I think uh, it's crazy that he scored more touchdowns than Mike Evans last year. I don't expect that to uh, happen again in uh, in 2021, but neither does his ADP because it is really suppressed, whether you're looking at dynasty best ball or redraft. I just want to ask real quick, if you had to put – a number on it. What do you think he finishes as his positionally like positional finish? Well, I, I probably haven't ranked like I, I'm. I'm sure he's a comfortable wide receiver too. In like the way I think of him, uh, definitely on the back end of that spectrum. But you're getting him as like what a wide receiver four right now. Forty two. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yep. that's insane. And so like you know you don't even have to do that much imagining to to put him in a range of outcomes where he really pays off his ADP at least in 2021. And, you know, he broke out late. He doesn't have as much tread on his tires as a normal above 30-year-old wide receiver. Uh, and he is under contract for multiple years going forward. Yep. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, Connor, I wanted to ask you about Justin Jefferson and how you felt about him because he went from last year, a positional ADP of 33, you know, relatively unknown rookie climbing up the boards, uh, ADP of 94 to we were looking it up and he had a positional ADP of wide receiver one and an ADP of 21. So like, I'm pretty shocked about that. I want to hear what, what, what your thoughts are on it. Um, do you think he's going to pay off that wide receiver, uh, positional ADP? Um, for me, first of all, I, is he going to pay it off? I don't think so. You got Kirk Cousins throwing you the ball. He wasn't even the wide receiver one by like, if I'm not mistaken, he wasn't even the wide receiver one by average. He wasn't the wide receiver one in general. So I just don't, I just can't connect the dots as to why he is spiked. Well, I know why he spiked from last year. Obviously, that's simple. But why? How has he gotten to the point where he's the wide receiver one over Tyree Kill, 
over DeAndre Hopkins. Devontae Adams, I know that's a questionable situation, so I understand if people are a little skeptical and might drop him a few spots. But, like, you think about the names that, that should be ahead of him, and it's probably mostly an age thing and the fact that Tyreek Hill's, what, 27, 28 years old and Justin Jefferson's 24, 22. 22. So, 22, so maybe it's... Maybe it's an Just age really thing. Quick, that's the only reason I think like the the gap we see between him and Thielen. Like Thielen's a top ten wide receiver in back to back to back seasons, or in three of the last four seasons. I mean, he's been a top mm-hmm. ten wide receiver like that, and he's playing beside Jefferson still. Exactly, and like Justin Jefferson, like you look Justin Jefferson, he had 125 targets, and Adam Thielen had 108, and and I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that it go we see similar maybe justin jefferson sees a few more but i i wouldn't be surprised if we see very similar like i just don't see in a kirk cousins offense where they're focused around dalvin cook they again it's the question it's going back to the how much more do you think kirk cousins is going to throw? how much do you think they're going to really <clears throat> go to the air to put justin jefferson to the 150 target or the 160 target point that really puts him over the edge and really maybe puts him into the conversation with tyreek hill or deandre hopkins who are at vol- absolute volume monsters for me a wide receiver one no hard pass definitely passing on that one especially because kirk cousins i mean right now you got kellen mon sitting in the, the shadows and the question is like how much longer are they going to keep Kirk Cousins around? I mean, I never, I don't like to always bring up that question or think about that question, but you have to think about the future with this 22-year-old wide receiver and the expectation is that he repeats. I think we've been too spoiled with rookie performances by wide receivers that the spike is just absurd. And I think like maybe Jamar Chase could see something similar next season. Like, for me, no, he's not my wide receiver one. I don't think you will ever find me putting him as my wide receiver one in rankings. My wide receiver one personally is Tyreek Hill, and I think it's going to stay that way because when you're attached to 10 years of Patrick Mahomes, you ha- like that. that's the best quarterback in the NFL. Or Diggs and Allen, yeah. yeah. Or Diggs and Allen. Like you're like looking I at think- that combination. I completely left out Diggs in the conversation, but that's because he is being left out of the top five. Well, let me, almost let me give you a stat here. So only three wide receivers last year ranked top 10 in both air yards and yards after the catch. Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, and Justin Jefferson. So, and you know, this guy broke the NFL merger all-time NFL record by a rookie wide receiver for receiving yards. So the the conversation for the Justin Jefferson stands is very easy to make, but you have to look at some of the efficiency metrics that underline what he did. Like you don't get to 1,400 yards the way he did very often. It's very difficult to do what he did when it comes to just putting up explosive plays, whether it was through air yards or after the catch. And it it just seemed like everything went absolutely perfect for him, including that like handful of games where teams were still prioritizing Adam Thielen over Justin Jefferson and Jefferson just kind of ran rickshaw in certain games. And, you know, it's really impressive what he did, but we have to keep it in the context of, you know, how impressive that was is very hard (laughs) to repeat. Like I'm looking so he had 11.2 yards per target last year. That is just insane. Like I'm looking at guys who had over 70% catch rate or better and over nine yards per target, minimum 100 targets you got. So George Kittle would be the next highest Debo Samuel, but Justin Jefferson was doing this with 11.2 yards per target, which is just insane. 
Yeah, and like you think about 5.5 receptions per game, and he was at 87 and a half yards per game. Like that's absurd. Like how how explosive he was, and how big of play. And you know, eventually teams are going to kind of catch on to that, especially when your biggest weapons opposite this man are Adam Thielen, Irv Smith, and Dalvin Cook. Like, I mean, it's not like you really have to double team a whole lot of people. Adam Thielen didn't see much of a threat in the open field last season in comparison to a guy like Justin Jefferson. And then Irv Smith, what are you getting from Irv Smith? Sure, the fantasy community has fallen for him and loves him, and Jim loves the hell out of this man. But Fuck, like, I do. Swerving Irvin. <laughs> but like what can we really expect from him and Conklin in that pair and instead of him and Rudolph? And what can we really expect? How, how much more can we expect from Dalvin Cook? What happens if Dalvin Cook gets hurt? That just completely, the box completely backs up and then there's more focus on a guy like Justin Jefferson. Like that's where you have to consider baking in the idea of Dalvin Cook getting injured and the idea that he is an injury risk at all times and in every single season because he's yet to complete a full season. For me, there's just too many question marks beyond two or three years from now for him to ever be considered wide receiver one from an ADP perspective for me. Like, I know that you can always bring up question mark. You can bring up, well, what about what Patrick Mahomes gets hurt? What about what, like, what if the Andy Reid's out in Kansas City, which none of this stuff's ever going to happen anytime soon? You can bring up all these question marks, (laughs) but with no team is it more prevalent than with a Kirk Cousins at quarterback and Dalvin Cook at what at running back, and then so many other question marks around the offense and the direction of the team in general. Yeah. And I know it's baby Kubiak, like the son is taking over for the father. So it should be a very uh, similar offense. But, you know, that that elicits the question, like, when the fuck does the league start figuring out the play-action pandemic that we are in, and when do they try and stop it? Like, we've talked about Tennessee, and now we're talking about Minnesota. The catalyst to these offenses, why they've been so efficient, has you know, why they've been so productive for fantasy has nothing to do with volume. It's just efficiency, and it's almost entirely off deep passing off play action. It's crazy. So I really quickly want to go off show sheet here because Connor brought up how the fantasy community. No, no. uh, Devontae (laughs) Adams and how uh, the fantasy community is dipping them. So I wanted to ask you guys, are are you taking any hit because of the potential Aaron Rodgers not being in Green Bay? Or do you think Devontae Adams is elite enough to produce with shitty quarterbacks a la Allen Robinson? Um, for me, if you were drafting Devonte Adams or you were drafting him solely based on 38 year old Aaron Rodgers, what do you see in Devonte Adams? You have to see something in Devonte Adams. You can't just later in a draft, you draft a guy based on who his quarterback is. But if you're drafting Devonte Adams or you're drafting him and where the ADP was last year, and you rightfully knew that Aaron Rodgers is probably, I don't like right like probably not going for that many more years and his record set in season last year and stuff you like Devonte adams from a skill standpoint is an incredible like he's a target machine he gets so many targets i mean he had 149 last year 127 169 117 he's had five straight years of 100 are the tar- packers gonna pay him are the packers gonna pay him and are the packers gonna pay him too is another thing if we're talking from a, from a skill perspective, I think Devontae Adams definitely has a skill. I think he can definitely perform. He's a he's a target machine. He'll take those targets and he'll turn like his catch percentage 
62, 63, 65, 65, 77 last season. Like the 77 is probably the outlier season. That's a really high year. That's an incredible catch rate. And he did also have 37.8% target percentage in the red zone, which is something that would absolutely shift without uh, Aaron Rodgers in the picture because we have to remember the the touchdowns were absurd for Aaron yeah. Rodgers. That scene. Those were records set in paces. So for me, I think if you were drafting Devontae Adams last year, riding solely on Aaron Rodgers' coattail, what the heck are you, what, what, what the heck were you thinking? What were you doing? You drafted for Devontae Adams and the skill set that he has. And so I, I definitely go with this. He can definitely work it with Jordan Love. You'll see over a hundred targets. You know that he's going to have to produce and do his thing. Um, and from like a yards after catch perspective, he had 597 yards after the catch last season per reception. That's 5.2 yards after the catch and 6.8 yards before the catch. So it's not outside the realm of possibility for him to do this stuff. He can do a lot of things. And I think it's about the skill and not Aaron Rodgers. I also think the offense, like, I think we have to wait and see if he's going to resign here. That's the big question because, we already heard, I heard news yesterday that someone was trying to recruit him as a joke. It was hilarious. Like, what is tampering? I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> you're you're totally right. Like, the touchdowns with him and Tyreek, that's why I love Diggs, because Diggs scored half as many touchdowns as those two guys, less than half than either of them last year, but was in the same tier. Like, those three were definitely in a, a tier of their own last year. Um, and, you know, it goes back to the, the touchdowns really were the catalyst. Like, he had an eight-game touchdown streak. I think he scored a dozen times in that stretch. But, you know, a lot of the concerns are being baked into his price, I think, especially in Dynasty. There's a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity attached to this Packers offense right now. And I think it's a little bit unjustified because it's been such a structured offense. And nobody is betting on last year repeating. Like, nobody by the the prices that all these players are going at. It's really surprising. And over 50% of all the wide receiver targets in Green Bay went to Devontae Adams last year, which was first in the league by far. It's it's kind of insane. And they added Amari Rodgers, who I, I straight up think might cut into the running back market share or the tight end market share more than he will the wide receiver market share. And then you add in the fact that, you know, Devontae Adams is kind of locked into this role where MVS has his role. And I think that MVS role would pretty much disappear if Jordan Love was under center because the the confines of the offense would change. So I think Devontae Adams is really safe uh, from a volume-driven perspective. I just don't know if the double-digit touchdown upside is going to be there. Obviously, it wouldn't be. Uh, you wouldn't bake that into his, his value if uh, Rodgers was to leave. But I, I yeah. like Devontae at, at cost. Yeah, definitely. And when you look at Devontae Adams, like he, I mean, it sucks because he hasn't completed a season in the last three years. He played mm-hmm. 14 this season, 12 this season before, 15 the season before that. But in those three seasons, he had 1,300 yards, nearly 1,000 yards in 12 games. And then he had 1,374 yards last season with 115 receptions. So, I mean, Imagine if he could stay healthy for a full 16 games. You're looking at a guy who could be bordering on 1,500 yards, honestly. And like his yards per game are just like 92.43 years ago, 83.1 in 19, 98.1 this past season. Like, I don't see any reason to believe that he wouldn't be under like 80, 85 yards per game, no matter who's throwing him the ball, in all honesty. Like, I just don't understand why people think that it's Aaron Rodgers who made Devontae Adams when I think 
there is an equal share between Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers for who's responsible for making who and producing whose numbers. But the 18 touchdowns, 100% tie. I, I don't think that you are going to see that again. And obviously he's had 12, he's had 10, he's had 13. But if you have Aaron Rodgers out of the picture, completely different ball game. I, I mean, if for his opportunity to hit 10 touchdowns probably becomes a lot more difficult and but his yardage can still produce 1200 1300 1400 yards i have no doubt it's kind of like michael thomas in new orleans with breeze like descending into oblivion so to speak yeah well i just wanted to ask real quick is green bay maybe good at drafting the quarterbacks though i mean like this is very eerily similar of what happened with Favre and 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 then rogers i mean rogers sat for what three years before before the shit hit the fan but uh Maybe they're just good at making, you know what I mean? Maybe they're just decent at, at, at drafting quarterbacks, but who knows? But anyway, with that, you know, that, that'll, that'll take care of the appies and the dips. Um, keep it moving along to the, what I like to call the mainstays, right? Like every potluck you go to, your family has something that they always cook up. Uh, like I said, whether it's a special dip or whether it's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. What, but like my, my wife always ends up cooking dips and, and shit for the potlucks for, for us. But, uh, but, you know, everybody has mainstays. And I would say in the fantasy community, that mainstay happens to probably be the Scott Fishbowl, which is happening right now. And all three of us are lucky enough to be in it. I know we touched on this um, uh, on the TNFF mock a little bit, but I or show a little bit, but I just wanted to quickly touch on what are any of your guys' real strategies? Have you guys got any deep sleepers going on? What kind of, what have you been seeing in, in mocks? Uh, anything you really want to touch on real quick and, and what positions you're picking from? Yeah. I mean, but, for, for me, it's my first time ever doing the Scott fishbowl. So it's super different, very unique for me and going into the mock drafts, like the mock drafts sound and look nothing like what actually ends up happening in the actual thing. Because like in one of the mock drafts I did, I panicked and followed the, the quarterbacks because I think in the first 12 picks, it was like seven or eight quarterbacks gone in the first round. And then there's another mod that we have a TNFF SFB mock or Travis Kelsey went number one. Like it's just learning, just doing these mocks and seeing, trying to figure out people's mindsets and stuff is what basically what I'm doing. I'm sitting back. I'm kind of enjoying the experience more taking in what people are saying versus giving an opinion, because this is something that I actually don't really have much of an opinion on because I don't have a whole lot of knowledge of it. Um, but I mean, obviously I know that the, the biggest thing, like I know that we've been talking about it in the past is a kicker can be extremely valuable and it's so weird to think about it. But for the people who are reaching on like a Jamal Williams, there are probably five or six kickers who outscored him last year alone. So then you think about the situation where you might draft a Jamal Williams who's playing behind Andre Swift when you could have, you said, like a young Huku or a Dan Carlson or somebody who you just need someone who can kick the ball well and efficiently, not like my Eagles with Jake Elliott. I would not trust that guy in the Scott Fishbowl because his accuracy is pretty lackluster. But if you can find an accurate kicker, he's probably better than an RB3 or a wide receiver three that you might draft. He had probably has the capabilities of putting up 
more than one of those guys or more than most of those guys on a given week and give you a higher upside than those guys give you on a given week unless an injury happens, of course. So that's one of the biggest things I'm learning. Don't underestimate the kickers and don't take these mocks to be like Bible truth because definitely they shift. Like I haven't seen any, any mocks go anything remotely the same or anything close to similarly. So those are the things I've learned so far. Yeah, I uh, I pick in the four spot, which is a tough one because I really am thinking between an elite quarterback or uh, or Travis Kelsey, right? Because of the format, um, the difficult thing is what with the third round reversal and Scott Fishbowl. I'm not really sure if I'm able to wait out at quarterback there until that late third round. So I probably won't end up doing that. I might just take a elite quarterback off the hop, um, and then I'm deciding who, and I might go way off the board. And take somebody like Dak Prescott. And then I would try and build that entire Cowboys passing game. Like take CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper in that fifth, sixth round, hopefully. And then take both the tight ends, maybe. Um, so that's kind of how I'm attacking the Scott Fishbowl. Like I'm going to be water and see what happens with that first pick. Uh, but I'm probably going to try and build a very specific range of outcomes. Because you are competing against a million teams. Uh, I'm doing things like trying to identify some late season strength of schedule teams. Uh, because it is a separate tournament where everyone gets pretty much redistributed into a, a playoff format come week 14 in the Scott Fishbowl. Uh, so little strategies like that. I am definitely anti-kicker in the Scott Fishbowl. I would take Jamal Williams over pretty much every kicker, I think. Uh, like, I, you know, if DeAndre Swift gets injured, I have a really, really good running back in the Scott Fishbowl and uh, point per first down uh, format. And like, I, I get it. Like, kickers can score 10 points per game compared to eight points per game for this other player. Um, but I can draft three guys instead of three kickers scoring 10 points per game for me in my three flex spots. I can draft three guys. And one of those guys is going to hit and score 30 points per game for me. Like Antonio Gibson did in this format last year, who I got in the 13th round. So I just can't believe that somebody would pass on Antonio Gibson to draft a kicker in the 13th round. And I actually, uh, I, I went full detective mode on the Scott fishbowl stream there. And got Jimbo to admit that he would take uh, Justin Tucker over Deshaun Watson in this format. Sure right? did, because I will really never crazy. be able to get Deshaun Watson where where I would take him. And I am guaranteed for Justin Tucker to play. When I have asked people the percentage of possibility of Deshaun Watson playing, I have never got a response higher than 10%. If I ask you a percentage of Justin Tucker playing this year, it is in the 90%. There's a freak accident happening in like August to get him to not be playing. Yeah, but but you're drafting him like five rounds higher than he should go when and you like do the math. Like, and, step, and not to I'm mention wondering. Baltimore is a terrible team to target a kicker from, no matter how good and accurate he is. Um, because obviously you're not going to take the negative points from Justin Tucker. I agree that he's a way better pick than Young Hoo Koo for Atlanta, who only kicks in Atlanta six times during the fantasy season, which is by far the lowest in the NFL. And he's had, you know, consistency issues in the past before, you know, making his mark in Atlanta. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, Justin Tucker plays for Baltimore. was going to go for it on fourth down more often than they're going to kick a field goal in the red zone. Like, it's just, I just don't get why people love kickers so much when kickers are scoring fewer points than ever right now. And there's only like five to 10 that are really good. So if I can land a, a Bass or a, a Sanders uh, in the 14th or 15th round, I'll definitely entertain that. But I'm not going to be passing on uh, high upside handcuff running backs for 
you know, kicker, kicker eight to 15 off the board. It seems and, like. and I know that we aren't diving into the Deshaun Watson situation too much, but where I'm seeing him go in some mocks, I agree with Jim. I think it's a little absurd to think about because it's like, what? Then drop your first round pick in the Scott Fishbowl. Who cares? But, but first of all, he's not going that late. I see him going like... I can't even remember where I saw him in this last mock draft, but like I yeah, see but, people going taking the shot a lot sooner. But you but have if to you think, think of it like your entry per how many teams are in this league is a higher percentage than Deshaun Watson playing, so it makes Deshaun Watson a value. Like I you, can, you know I what can, I mean? Yeah, like you only I, I get, get one I entry in this see. tournament, so you have to do those kind of things. And yeah, it might only work out one percent of the time, but you know you need to hit on ninety nine percent luck to win this tournament. I think in the Scott Fish Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree on that point. You definitely have to hit in waivers and stuff. That's the big reason I'm avoiding kickers is I can get a good kicker on waivers. Like, in yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm going to land a sexy kicker on waivers. And I might overpay to do that in Scott Fish Bowl. I just don't see any way of seeing Deshaun Watson play, at least in the first half of the season. Especially, like, the situation's still fluid. It's still going on. The NFL's doing their thing. Deshaun Watson's doing his thing. The lawyers are doing their thing. And then you look at you know the NFL, no matter whether they settle or not, he's probably going to hit the commissioner's exemplus or he's going to get at some sort of And he's suspension. not playing in Houston, so where is he playing? Exactly, yeah. and then like, Houston. And, then, and Connor, to be honest, guys, I, I should, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Like, there's no way I'm mm-hmm. taking Deshaun Watson. I don't think it's no. unless he's there in like the 11th or 12th. Because then you have to get but, but Houston what I do to admit ask that you, they're going to trade him. And Houston still yeah. thinks like that there's hope maybe that he can stay around. And it's like, so you have to uh, this perfect alignment of all these things lining up for you for him to play week one. And I agree. It, it double digit is generous. Yeah, you might pass on a good wide receiver because values are gonna fall in the Scott Fishbowl too. Yeah. Definitely. So Ty, I really wanted to I want to pick your brain real quick here. Uh being the analytics guru that you are, um, you brought up a good point there. You hit Antonio Gibson in the 13th round. So I just wanted to ask you, is there any players right now that you're targeting that you have been in mocks that you can get rounds 11 or later that you think could be absolute league winners. Like you said, like your Jamal Williams possibly for, for um, DeAndre Swift going down. Uh, who Who's a player that you've been really targeting late, late rounds in, in, in the Scott Fishbowl drafts? I mean, I haven't done a lot of mock drafts. So, you know, there's guys that just uh, like logically like an AJ Dillon or a, uh, a James Connor, like guys like that are going to be players. I'll target Trey Sermon is somebody I'm going to really, really try and uh, make sure I have on my team. Um, maybe Raheem Mostert as well. Like I don't mind stack cuffing a team like San Francisco. There's only a few teams I would do that. Uh, Damian Harris maybe is a guy who moves up in this format compared to other formats. Uh, Gus Edwards, I think is a good one, uh, who definitely will hit on some of those point per first downs. Um, but I, I I am going to target a lot of high upside running backs. I want running backs to be the highest rostered position on my roster by far. Uh, so, you know, Alexander Madison, I'm going to take if I don't draft Alvin Cook. Uh, Latavius Murray, somebody I drafted last year and didn't love, but I'm going right back to the well there. Uh, and I'll avoid guys like even Kenny Gainwell or J.D. McKissick. Like, guys like that are guys I'm going to probably push down my board a little bit. Beautiful. I like to I like to see it. I like to hear it. I, uh, I did go RB 
heavy last year. I ended up taking the only QBs I took were uh, Jimmy G, Ryan Tannehill, and then I hit Justin Herbert late. Thank God, because uh, Jimmy huge. G went down. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I, I did the same thing. I went, I went uh, running back heavy, and I took a, I took a few late round flyers too, with like AJ Dillon a little bit later, and uh, a few, a few other guys. I think Malcolm Brown was another guy I ended up t- targeting late. Um, but yeah, anyway, so. I don't really want to want to stay on the on the Scott Fish too too long because, like I said, we've we've touched on it a couple a couple times already, and uh, I don't know. There's there's not too much more more to say. I know you don't want to be hearing what I've been doing with uh, always grabbing T.J. Hawkinson round five. That's just been that's oh, been yeah. our thing or my thing. But uh, mm-hmm. I seen actually, you know what? Real quick, I'll say I seen a mock this time that I'm in right now where uh, somehow uh, Kyle Pitts went before. George Kittle. I think Kyle Pitts went 303, and I think Kittle went like 306. I was pretty shocked by that, especially in this format. I guess they're baking in the uh, Kittle injury. But uh, anyway, this has been really good, man. And like every potluck, it ends up wrapping up. You always end up having a little bit of coffee and dessert. Uh, I don't know how you guys take your coffee, but me, I always take it double-double. So in that spirit, I thought, you know, we could do a little double-doubles. And in this type of double-double, it's usually two guys that I find that are within positional ADP close to each other. I decided to go, I'm going to do a little different. I'm going to go with team double-doubles here. And because uh, I know for me, and I'm not sure about Connor, but for me, I don't really like to take like two wide receivers from the same team. I don't like to take uh, you know two two running backs from the same team. I'm not I'm not that guy. I take one or the other, and you no, know, me it's usually a cheaper guy because I'm cheap. Um, so yeah, I thought we'd do a team edition double double. And first on the docket is a guy that we have been talking about so far. Uh, actually, and I think we talked about both of them. It's uh, guys that I like: Kansas City Chiefs, Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey. I know they're not the same position, but the odds are you're not going to be able to get both of them on your fantasy teams. So, Ty, who are you taking? Uh, give me Kelsey 100%. Or I guess this is Dynasty. Yeah. In Dynasty, I guess that's a little tougher. Um, you know what? Give me give me Kelsey just because of that positional, uh, <clears throat> positional advantage. So what? Uh, Mahomes has been a starter for three seasons now, right? 2018, 19, 20. Um, two of the four best fantasy seasons by a tight end ever in that stretch have been accomplished by Travis Kelsey. Most PPR points per game by a tight end of all time. Two of the three highest receiving yard totals by a tight end ever. Top 10 all the last three years. Uh, receiving record last year, so no shine, no signs of slowing down. He just set the NFL receiving record by a tight end. Um, you know, the yak per reception is not slowing down the miles per hour data. I wish I had that. I don't know where all these nerds are getting that from. I go on next gen stat. All I can tell is like who ran the fastest at one point during the season. Like, I don't care that Raheem Mostert reached 23 miles an hour on that run. I want to know how fast in miles per hour Travis Kelsey has been running the last four years and compare it. Give me it. But I can't find that. Um, but I don't think he's slowing down. I really don't. And the high leverage work is just off the charts. Like this guy is, he's no Kittle in terms of yards after the catch, but you know, Kittle is no Kelsey in terms of touchdown scoring and in terms of air yards and stuff like that. So it's just insane. The separation that Travis Kelsey has had, it's been five straight seasons as the tight end one overall, maybe Kyle Pitts takes that mantle in two, three, four years, but I think it is two, three, four years away. 
give me Travis Kelsey. But I love Tyreek. You're on mute, Jimbo. Yeah, that's because my daughter's in the background asked me for something, and I didn't think you really wanted to hear it. Um, so, <laughs> Connor, man, uh, who are you taking in this? I'm I'm gonna go with Tyree Kill. I mean, I think I think I have to after saying he's my wide receiver one for Dynasty earlier in the episode. I feel like it would just be some sort of betrayal <laughs> for me not to say it. But that's not to respect at, at all what Travis Kelsey's doing or disrespect at all what Travis Kelsey's doing because he is an he's a monster man. He ranks as what I think he's like top five wide receiver and he's a tight end. So I mean, he's a monster. What he's capable of doing. Um, if you could definitely stack Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey somehow in any way, shape, or form on a roster, you would be set. You would be money rolling in the dough. But, I mean, like you said, it's pretty hard to get the two of them. Uh, mo both of them usually go in the first round. Um, sometimes I feel like Travis Kelsey gets discounted a little, especially when you put him beside wide receivers and you say he is this as the wide receiver. So I feel like some people just don't appreciate that because, I mean, I don't necessarily believe that we're going to see a tight end. I love Kyle Pitts, and, but I think the hype's getting out of hand. And I'm not 100% convinced we see these records get smashed like Travis Kelsey has already smashed them. So for me, that that's the biggest thing is like you have to respect that. But because I said Tyree kills my uh, wide receiver one earlier and what he's capable of doing, he's a big play waiting to happen at all times. That is going to be my uh, go-to there. For me, I'm just really going to quick touch on it. It's uh, I'm riding, I'm riding Travis Kelsey and the positional advantage that that he brings to the table until those wheels fall off. I know it's unheard of. What has he been tight end one for five straight fantasy seasons? Everyone seems to be thinking it's eventually going to fall off. Wrong age of thirty. I think he's got three to five years solid. He could be the next Tony G. Um, in the terms of longevity at the at the position. So uh, I'm riding it until the wheels fall off. And just because – and, like, no disrespect to Tyreek, it's just like I can get guys that I'm comfortable with as my wide receiver one later on where tight end is not as – I'm not as locked in as secure. You know what I mean? Like I put Travis Kelsey in, and I know I'm good for 10 points a week until the bye week, and then I just throw in whoever the hell I need to throw in and, and just no, – but, like, it's just – it's just the – Security week in week out, not not knowing how to uh, how to be plugging in into your lineup. So <clears throat> next out of these two guys, we've talked about them real quick earlier on in the uh, first step in the first uh, segment there in the apps and dips. Uh, it's Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen, Connor. Man, who are you taking? For me, this is so dependent, and I don't take this as a cop-out, but it's so dependent on the type of team build that I have. If I know that I'm contending this year, I would probably go Adam Thielen because that's just an absurd value that you can get with Adam Thielen. But if I'm built for the future, I'm going Justin Jefferson. If I'm built looking to make multiple runs, I'm going with Justin Jefferson because, I mean – when you draft Justin Jefferson, where you draft him, it's just imagine the people that you're passing on that you're never going to get the chance to get again versus Adam Thielen and where he's being buried down there. Um, so it really depends on their build of my team. But I think I'll, I think I have to go Justin Jefferson. You got to go with the skill. You got to go with what you know is, is almost a sure thing. 
And even at an ADP of 21, like if you get pick 21 is not a terrible spot to have Justin Jefferson, despite some of the stuff that I've said about him earlier in the episode. I think I'd go Justin Jefferson because there's going to be more teams looking for the the need of Justin Jefferson than the need of Adam Thielen on their roster. Ty, who are you taking out of these two? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, if we're asking, do I want Jefferson in the second of a dynasty startup or do I want Thielen in the eighth or ninth? Like I'll take Thielen in the eighth or ninth, right? Just because that gives you such a bargaining chip. If he comes out and has another good season, you can ship him at the deadline for a pretty decent price, I think, or at least uh, he's a guy who might be a perfect person to let die on your roster with him and Kirk Cousins uh, riding off into the sunset there in Minnesota. Um, just because it is a really condensed offense. Like it is all a lot of Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Like if you look at, uh, so Justin Jefferson had eight games with five or more catches last season. Thielen had six. Dalvin Cook had four. No other Viking player had more than one game with just five catches all season long. So it's a really condensed offense. And like he, he sees 24, 25, 26% of the market share there. Uh, and he's going to see a lot of air yards as long as this play action game continues to uh, to keep up as well, which is what, you know, kind of surprised us post Stefan Diggs was how much he was able to accommodate some of the work that's been heaped on him. Like I've been really impressed by Adam Thielen almost every step of the way, especially like expected fantasy points is kind of all the new rage. Unfortunately, it only gets used for like young, sexy players. But Adam Thielen was fifth in fantasy points over expectation in 2020 among wide receivers, 12th in weighted uh, weighted opportunity uh, rating. So, like, this guy has a lot to go to bat for. It's just the age that's really suppressing his value in Dynasty. But like I said, you know, he is under contract for multiple seasons, and he is uh, less of a 31-year-old than a lot of 31-year-old wide receivers who've broken at 22 or something. You know what I mean? So I, I don't mind Thielen, and I think you're just getting such a great value with him that I'll take – Thielen with whoever I took in the second round over Jefferson and then whoever I'm taking in the eighth round. Yeah, I'm pretty much on that same level. It's the reason why I take Tyler Lockett over DK usually because, well, I'm cheap, but Adam Thielen gives you more consistency than uh, Tyler Lockett ever will. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just, it's hard for me to reach on a wide receiver in a second round to, of, a, of a dynasty startup. When I, again, I know I can get a lot of solid value and hammer out the, the positional uh, matchups. And really week quick, week, Jimbo, but- you talk about you talk about you're not a guy adding multiple wide receivers from a team. Seattle might be the team that I am. Like I am down to add DK and then come back and add Lockett. Maybe the Rams, the Cowboys. There, there's definitely only two or three teams at one time that I want to do that. And it's interesting to note that the Vikings have actually been one of those teams uh, a few times in the last four years. Whether it's Diggs and Thielen or Thielen and and now Mr. Jefferson. Yeah, absolutely for sure. I mean, it's just. It's hard to bet, right? Because then that you're you're trying to find out which quarterbacks are gonna gonna uh, be able to to hold that weight, right? But um, I don't know. That's just me. I always end up finding myself going wide receiver late and then missing out on these elite, wide, young, talented wide receivers. I just kind of fill my roster in with uh, with uh, with aging vets, and then try. And then I, actually, I try to load up too on. Uh, rookie draft picks too, right? If an aging vet starts going, I ship them off for a second round or second round or second rounder. And then I try to stockpile the position in the future draft and then flip them for other aging vets that have a couple more years left in two or three rookie wide receivers. I haven't even seen like to, this year I did it with, uh, I did like Kadarius, Tony, Terrence Marshall, 
and uh, in one deal, and Amon Ross St. Brown and Nico Collins in another, and I ended up getting uh, Julio Jones. and Oh, I added a first in one of them, and I got Stefan Diggs. You know what I mean? Like I ended up out of those four wide receivers and a first, I ended up getting, like I said, Julio and Diggs, and just completely turned around my my wide receiver roster. But that's that's neither here nor there. Speaking of Julio, next on the docket is Julio Jones or AJ Brown. Um, Ty, I want to know who you are taking, considering you don't think there's room to grow with this with this Tennessee offense. Do you think Julio is going to be the one eating into AJ Brown's or? or or AJ Brown going to be able to keep that Lions market share? No, I, I'll take AJ Brown over Julio. I'm probably not going to have a ton of either of them, but um, definitely a little more faith in uh, in AJ Brown over Julio, just because you, you know that built-in rapport. He's just so much younger, so much better at this point in his career. And uh, like, I don't think it should be lost on people that the Titans have two wide receivers that have ranked top five in yards per out run on PFF in back-to-back seasons. Now, like these are two really, really good wide receivers. The problem is the volume, right? So I just, uh, I think I'll, you know, intuition just tells me to take the young budding superstar over the guy who is 32 years old uh, and fighting a ton of math when it comes to being 32 years old. Yeah, I respect it. For me, I'm I'm gonna go with AJ Brown as well because like if if what Ty says is so if they pass more, good. If they don't pass more and what Ty is saying becomes true, AJ Brown is a monster on the ground producing for himself. And in an offense where you might not see a ton of yards through the air necessarily, or you might not see a ton of targets like Julio Jones is used to seeing, that might not play so well or bode so well for for Julio Jones, whereas AJ Brown can produce with what little he might be offered. Or I mean, it is a fair amount. There He's is a line share work. Yeah, that exactly. He can do he can do the touchdowns. He can he can create for himself. He can do everything you want to see from a wide receiver um, where you're drafting him. So I think AJ Brown's the easy one here, especially like I said, like yeah, is Julio Jones a good value? It's becoming more debatable now as he, his value continues to spike with where he got moved to. But, I mean, A.J. Brown is a clear number one there no matter who's there. It's A.J. Brown, it's Derrick Henry's offense at the end of the day. I have uh, I have Julio ranked pretty close to a few Alabama alumni who are about 10 years younger than him in my dynasty rankings. Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith are all ranked pretty close to Julio Jones for me. I can't imagine a scenario where it's my wide receiver three or four that I'm selecting or whatever, and I'm going with Julio. Like, I think that's just so hard to to stomach the way I build teams in Dynasty. It's trippy. I, I love it. The Al- Go Tuscaloosa. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of Alabama, that's actually a pretty good segue there because we are going to go with some Alabama alumni here with Kenyon Drake or Josh Jacobs? I think for me, it's going to probably be Josh Jacobs. I mean, Kenny, like when I was looking it up earlier, these are two of the top, like I think they were two of the top three red zone guys. I actually think they were one and two in red zone work from the running back perspective. Um, So something's got to give here. And I don't think it's going to be, the $11 million Kenyon Drake over the next two years. I think it'll be Josh Jacobs who gets more of the work. 
And I know that they want Josh Jacobs to get more involved in the receiving game and stuff. I just think Kenny and Drake's a good, you know, insurance policy. Should Josh Jacobs continue to struggle with injury issues or should they have to go with a hot hand or something? Um, for me, yeah, I think I got to go with Josh Jacobs. I think I got to keep with the younger running back because Kenyon Drake isn't exactly one of the running backs who's aging well as he continues to be moved from team to team. Um, so I'm going with Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I definitely uh, tick the neither box in fantasy for this one, I think. Uh, I, I, I'll i tell you, I'm really worried about Josh Jacobs. This is really frustrating. This is Joe Mix it all over again, right? Like it's... A, the guy who's an elite pass catcher coming out, not getting the pass catching work, a guy who, uh, who could really command a significant portion of the, of the workload, but just isn't getting it. And uh, like he, he was in games he played last year, like in games he played last year, other Raiders running backs only had like six and a half rushes per game and like two and a half catches per game. So Drake's work is going to cut into somebody and it probably is Kenyon Drake because of, uh, you know, I just, I, I'm worried about the whole Raiders offense, I guess, though. Like, I think they were probably a microcosm of the highest scoring season we ever saw in NFL history last year uh, in in those extenuating circumstances of 2020. So Derek Carr, I expect regression. Raiders, I expect regression. They had a big free agency and draft uh, to undertake this season. We're like, okay, just do things normal, you know? Like, don't go fucking flying off the board with your first pick. And then Leatherface goes first round. Like, really? Like, seriously. And so... I don't have a ton of faith in this, in this regime. They have a tough strength of schedule. They might be the worst team in their division uh, pretty easily in my opinion. So I think I I'm worried about Josh Jacobs being able to do some of the things that he's best at, because I do expect this to be pretty defined roles where Josh Jacob is the early down runner goal line work. And Kenyon Drake is seeing some of the, the spell work and then third down and pass catching work. So I'll take the pass catcher in round eight or nine over the guy who's you know, really going to struggle to score five or 10 touchdowns this year in that offense. I think, uh, I think that was it sucks up. because he's one of the best tackle breakers. Like I really like Josh Jacobs, not a huge fan of the Drake. We all hate the Drake, but uh, you know, I, I just think he's a better value right now for fantasy. And he's the one who could actually pay off his value. Whereas Josh Jacobs has very little room to pay off his value. I think that's some generous of you to say that they might be the worst team in that division because I think it's pretty <laughs> easily the worst team in that division. But I, I agree with you. I think that, like, you know, in a Gruden offense, I think that they may carve out a specific role for each. And if the Raiders and Gruden and Mayock weren't worried about Josh Jacobs, they would never have spent $11 million on Kenny and Drake. That we saw it like we should have known, you know, when they drafted Bowden, that's one of those things that I look back and I was like, damn, we should have known that this offseason they might bring in somebody to fill that freaking role. Agreed. That agreed. guy didn't work out. The, the, the concerns are a little scary for Josh Jacobs. I mean, I still think I'll take the young running back who might land on his feet somewhere else. Like we pray Ronald Jones does as he lands on his feet somewhere where he gets to actually be an RB1 after this season. One A, according to Arians this year. Coach <laughs> of the year. Well, <laughs> yeah, back. Ke- a. You should sure Keyshawn Baum was supposed to break out this year. <laughs> so. Oh, man. Yeah, this, but this you guys like fun. Drake. The Drake one's good because, you know, Josh Jacobs has had a lot of work so far. So it's going to be interesting to see if Josh Jacobs, like people might not sometimes ADP lags behind, you know, the prognostication efforts that we go about. And uh, I think we're all predicting a much lower share of touches and all that stuff for Josh Jacobs. And we've seen 
Uh, I've tweeted out in the past that Josh Jacobs splits when he gets a certain amount of touches and doesn't. And uh, yeah, we should definitely be worried about Josh Jacobs. I, I think this is fun before before we move on. And I'll, we'll start with you, Jim, on this one. Out of the four, by, from Kyle Sandra here, out of the fourth year backs, how would you rank Miles Gaskin, Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, and Miles Sanders? Go ahead, Jim. Uh, give me Monty, Sanders, Jacobs, and Gaskin. What about you, Ty? So this is Dynasty? I would assume that's what he's looking for. Okay, give me Miles Sanders and then... Who was it? Miles, Miles, Jacobs, and Montgomery? Yep. Yep. Okay, sorry. I got it here. Uh, okay, give me Miles Sanders. Give me David Montgomery, I guess. Give me Josh <laughs> Jacobs. Give me Miles Gaskin. But at cost, the only two I want. Yeah, like at cost, give me uh, give me Miles Gaskin, man. <laughs> oh, he's, he's thinking season long. What about season long? Yeah, so oh, he that, said, yeah, and that's he said do both. He said do both. So um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do my dynasty, and then we can do a roundtable of redraft quick. For dynasty, for me, David Montgomery, um, Miles Sanders, I would go Miles Gaskin, and then I'd go Josh Jacobs. I, I just really – the only thing that could change Josh Jacobs for me is he gets out of Oakland or Vegas, and he gets out from under Gruden and hopefully lands on his feet where he can be an RB1 elsewhere. And whereas Miles Gaskin, you just don't know the direction that they're going in, in Miami. Down. <laughs> so what about Miles Gaskin? So we'll go. We'll go back to you, Jim. Re season long. This is. Oh is no, that's the same. That's the same, man. All right, Ty. Yeah, I think it's the same. Except Jacobs goes to the bottom for me. Like I do have Miles Gaskin higher than uh, than Jacobs. I honestly, I don't think anybody should be surprised if Miles Gaskin is the highest scoring running back of that foursome. I think whoever gets it, like Miles Gaskin, I like a lot. I just worry like he might not get the goal line rushing and stuff like that. But I really like the talent for Miles Gaskin. Yeah, I think the bringing in of Malcolm Brown is kind of like for me, for like the Miles Gaskin truthers out there, I think they're kind of like the Cam Akers truthers in that they don't want to accept that there's somebody there creeping in the shadows who's going to take more work than they think they'll take. Daryl Henderson, oh, Malcolm Brown. Both. I, I feel like those two might take a little bit more work than than the Gaskin and and Acres owners want to admit, especially Daryl Henderson. I still think Henderson <sighs> will do a bit more work, but for a redraft season long for me, saying it sticks the same: uh, Demont, Sanders, Gaskin, Jacobs. So pretty easy, I guess. So man, this has definitely been fun. Um, had had real fun uh, with Ty kicking it up here. Doing a little bit of double-doubles is something I like to do, a little bit of different spin on it this time with team double-doubles. Um, thank you guys for definitely coming. Connor, always been a blast. Want to tell people where they can find you guys, and uh, then we'll bounce out of here. Man, I am so bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Connor10. Also, we got to shout out the crew because we have not yet at uh, True North FFB on Twitter, truenorthffb.com. Um, and, uh, where else are we? Oh man. TNFF network on, uh, YouTube as well. Make sure you hit subscribe there. Make sure you follow us there. And, uh, I know with, uh, Trav settling into a new residence, I think the, uh, site relaunch will definitely be coming along a little bit quicker here soon. Um, so there's lots of exciting things to look forward to at TNFF as we move towards the regular season. 
Um, and also shout out to Viridian Global. They're doing a hell of a job with the Scott Fishbowl gear, some of the gear that we're all wearing, that some of us might be wearing tonight. Um, so shout out to them, ViridianGlobal.com, at Viridian Global on Twitter. Ty? Thanks so much, boys. Always a pleasure to be on. Uh, yeah, you can find me at TNFF Tyrell. And uh, yeah, that's where uh, that's where I'll be. Perfect, guys, man. Thanks a lot for coming. I'm going to work on doing outros because that was absolutely horrid. Till next time, see you next Tuesday. Have a blast.